This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Brinefield Services Company, Zolandez. Check them out at zolandez.com. That's Z-E-L-A-N-D-E-Z dot com. Joe Lowry. Welcome to another episode of the Global Lithium Podcast. Today is episode 148, recorded in Perth, Australia, with Cam Henry and John Young of Green Technology Metals. Each is a director, but both gentlemen have significant pedigrees in the lithium world beyond that. Cam running Primero, John Young was an original at Pilbara Minerals. I always say the podcast is just a conversation, and as I edited this episode, it really had the vibe of a conversation among people who are friends and who aren't afraid to rib each other. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I hope you do too. I am in Melbourne as I record this intro. I'm about to leave for the United States. I've been here a couple of weeks uh, in Perth, Sydney, and now Melbourne. It's striking to me how much uh, it seems that uh, the Aussies are going to have an impact on lithium development in Canada. And that's really what we talk about with respect to what Green Technology Metals is doing. I also spent some time while I was here with Patriot Battery Metals, which Ken Brinsden has just joined as non-executive chairman. I hope to have them on the podcast soon. But without further ado... Cam Henry and John Young. Cam Henry, John Young, welcome to the Global Lithium Podcast. Thanks for having us, Joe. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Good to see you back down in Western Australia again. Good to be here. Mr. Young, the man behind the curtain. We need to get your backstory. This audience has already heard Mr. Henry's backstory, but we just need to know, where'd you grow up? How did you get into mining? What was the path to lithium? Doesn't have to be long. No, look, Joe, I'm a geologist. Um, I grew up in Western Australia, born and bred. So, you know, the, the family were in the gold field, so it's a natural progression to be a geologist and get out from behind a desk and and uh, chip a few rocks. So I've always been in that field. So, you know, 30 years, exploration geologist through to the corporate end. But, uh, yeah, it's been interesting, right? You were one of the early people involved with Pilbara. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I suppose the best way to talk about that is this, we were at Tantalum. We were in, the company I was involved in vended assets into a company called Pilbara Minerals. And uh, those assets were originally gold and nickel, and but uh, it was very clear in 2012 that wasn't the commodity to be in. And we quickly pivoted to little Tantalum uh, story. So I had a background in industrial minerals and tantalum from the early Haddington Resources days. So we did that and um, managed to acquire the right assets at the right time. And uh, yeah, that was the, the start of the, the interest in lithium. And the rest is history. As they, as they say. <laughs> Mr. Henry, when we last spoke in May, well, not the last time we spoke, but the last time we spoke on the podcast, <clears throat> May of 2019, you were leading Primero to become 
one of the most knowledgeable companies in the hard rock universe. And then we had a downturn. How did you get through the downturn and what were the lessons learned in say 2019 and 2020? How do we get through the downturn? Um, well, I think the Primero is a multi-commodity business anyway. So I think we, you know, lithium is certainly a huge part of our business now and has been since probably 2015, 2016. Uh, but yeah, we, 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 we do work in multiple different commodities. Um, but I think even still through that downturn in the lithium space, uh, there was still a lot of study work, there was still a lot of early um, engineering, there was still a lot of knowledge building in, in the lithium sort of business. So um, who would have thought that two, three years later that we'd be in the, uh, in the I guess, the commodity boom that we're in at the moment for, for uh, battery materials? When did you see that as a real thing? At what moment did you think the market was turning? Let's think now we're only 2022 at the end of it. So I would certainly say towards the end of 2020, um, we were working on a couple of different projects, um, quite a few studies. We'd probably seen, I think, actually... Probably one of the most memorable meetings is when I caught up with Chris Reed, actually. And uh, Chris Reed has has always been one of the, uh, uh, I think, the litmus test of the industry. And he he showed me a couple of graphs on his phone about spodumene pricing for the next two or three years. And I think listening to him and, and then looking at some of the market reaction out there, I didn't believe him. And... (laughs) And... uh, from that point onwards, I think that, yeah, just for some reason, the, the market did turn. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite an interesting uh, period. It seems that uh, with the supply not coming close to keeping up with demand, there's a lot more pressure on just getting out tons, and it's having an impact on what grade is being deemed acceptable. Do you... Do you see that as a trend, or am I just getting that wrong? No, well, we talk about a lot about the uh, the SC six yeah um, phenomenon, which was created at, <clears throat> by by Greenbushes, right? And they've always had that product, and that was the, the product that was coined. Um, but certainly, yeah, I mean, people are producing much lower product uh, grades now to increase their yield. It's all about tons. Um, look, there's <clears throat> people are selling DSL again now. I mean, it's it's crazy times, right? There's people trying to sell fines at low grade, two and three percent, and then they're finding a home for it. So, um, at, at the moment, as long as you can make something that can be converted into a battery um, chemical, no matter how uneconomical it is, it's it's finding a home. Yeah, I found it interesting that uh, Sigma's contracting for their DMS tail. It's got enough lithium in it. So, and DSO yeah. seems to have reared its head again and mm. it's interesting times but as you look at the the next 10 years of the industry what is your take on trying to catch up with demand and where the lithium is actually going to come from chris reed's told me he thinks peak wa lithium is 1.5 million lce have any thoughts on that 
Yeah, that's not a bad number. I mean, there's a number of projects in Western Australia that will certainly get off the ground. Various qualities of product, but you know, potential produce that 100, 200,000 tonnes from small, um, you know, processing facilities, DMS only, if you like, in the early stages. Uh, it could be done. And of course, Pilbara's going through to possibly 800. So, um, you know, we combine that with Wagner and a few others here, 1.5 would be a right sort of number, I think. But it's going to take, going to take quite a few years. Well, in a world that needs, if you look at Albemarle's demand number, they say 3.2 in 2030. If you do it on a, the, the battery guy's gigawatt hour, it could be as high as 6. And yeah. uh, that would be 5.5 million tons of LCE in, in, in rough terms. What do you think the industry's ability is? I mean, you have dealt with projects in Canada and Brazil, maybe Portugal. What's the rest of the world going to be able to, uh, on the hard rock side, be able to contribute? Um, yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's no one that moves faster than West Australia in the mining space. And I think we've proven that, which is uh, certainly it's a huge advantage. You know, we've got the right climate, we've got the right um, government sort of support and, and, and regulatory sort of environment, which everyone still whinges about and wants, wants, wants it to be better, but compared to some other but countries... It's still three to four years. Yeah. doesn't matter. I mean, the, the, the Pilbara Minerals got from the first drill hole to production in four-year time frame. That was a record. Yeah. Absolute record at the time. And things don't get easier. So, so permitting does not get any easier anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, but as far as other countries, yeah, look, I mean, we, we set up there as Primero in, in, in Quebec, in, in Montreal in 2017. Um, we were fortunate enough to, to follow a client up there, which, which was Galaxy at the time. Um, and, I mean, even, even we didn't think that Quebec would be, I think, as endowed as, as people are now finding out in the hard rock space. I mean... The deposits up there, uh, and there's going to be, you know, Patriots obviously won, um, but there's going to be more Patriots found most likely. Um, but Canada itself, I think, is is horrendously underexplored, and obviously that's what we're banking on as well with Green Technology Metals, which is which is us over in Ontario. Ontario at the moment, you know, again, it's you no know, people haven't really been looking for lithium there for at all so there's a couple of good deposits but so I think Canada is a, is a really good opportunity um, is everything going forward I think that could provide similar similar and they have a good re- regulatory regime yeah they have a set permitting system they still have First Nation issues and that you have to deal with those but at least the time frames are something you can deal with as a company a, list, a listed company let me ask you then uh, Quebec has been bullish on lithium for over a decade. They talk about hydro, well-educated workforce, all the advantages, yet they haven't produced for a decade with multiple projects. Namaska is pretty much the poster child of uh, failures. And now you've got another group trying to develop that asset. What do you think it's gonna take in this environment now, with prices where the, the, really everything that you're looking at is probably in the next decade looks economic, what's going to put Canada into the space of a major contributor? Uh, 
So John Evans from Lithium America has got up at uh, a conference in Washington when we were there, you were there Joe, and he said, we actually don't need to find any more lithium, we just need competent teams to bring what we've got into production. In the right environment. In in the right environment. Yeah. What's happened in Quebec, I think, has been nothing. I mean, obviously, the economics have obviously played a part with people like uh, you know, Quebec Lithium, North American Lithium, that that uh, you know prices and they did fall on their sword, pricing dropping in, in certain times through the cycle. But look, to be honest, we've been up there for quite some time now. There's there's been a lot of really poor engineered processing facilities, and there's no two ways about it. And that's been the downfall. And there's an opportunity for Canada now to, to really get back on the map and ensure that they are having they do pick the right project partners and people that will get these projects up and running. There's, there's a huge opportunity. There's massive government backing more than any other jurisdiction, I think, in, on the planet at the moment. So specifically investing into hard rock, into the ground, putting money into the, into the ground, which everyone's very scared of. So... As you, you know, we talked about before, you get a lot of people that are keen to fund chemical facilities and things like that, but not many people are not, actually... Not many people want to take the risk and go mining. On, on the ground, no, yeah. not many, so... Yeah. Um, well, given your expertise on the topic, <laughs> what would you project Canada could be contributing from an LCE perspective in, in 2030? 2030. Um, well, I certainly don't think that they can develop it at the rate that you can here in Western Australia. That's that's just my my view on uh, not a permitting from a permitting perspective, but I think just an actual you know, engineering construction perspective. Um, oh, it's upwards of a million, six hundred, seven hundred. Oh, depending on any of the larger projects. So I no, like no, I L- like L- that bold L- prediction. L- no, L- L- LCE. LCA. Oh, LCA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. LCA. No, no, okay, no. so you're oh, not really, so you're not really just the, divided by eight, and you're less yeah, bold yeah, than yeah, I yeah. thought. Okay, no, no, honestly, yeah, 150,000, 150,000. Yeah. That'd be that'd be that'd be about it, I think. Yeah. Well, that's the whole interesting conundrum of the energy transition. If you look at the gigafactory map for North America, you look at the gigafactory map for Europe. Yeah. The number just keeps going up. Yep. Right now you're talking in 2030, the EU basically says they're going to need a million tons and North America, a similar number. The United States won't be doing 100,000 tons in 2030. Thacker Pass, if it finally gets going, which I believe it will, sure. okay, 50 to 60 in a, you know, over a five or six year period, but it's the end of 2022 now. We're talking yeah. about an eight year turn and the other projects if you look at Piedmont and that's in my backyard we have a lot of NIMBY let's just say North Carolina has a different attitude towards mining now than it seemed to when I first started in the industry when there were there were, yeah. we were still mining yeah. hard rock yeah. what in your mind is what's gonna what's gonna change things and what what kind of price should people be looking at when they're doing their economics now well, it's not going to go backwards a hell of a lot, Joe, is it, the pricing? <clears throat> you know, and that's, that's the reality. We're in for a sustained period of higher pricing. Um, and I think, you know, that's what's tri- driving the, the activity, isn't it, from the car makers, obviously, as we know. Right. They're, they're coming right up the value train to try and ensure they've got control in that pricing mechanism. But, I mean, when you're talking spodumene numbers, I mean... If, you, if it's coming from spodumene, which is, which is the quicker, 
the quickest way. Mm, to absolutely. Get, to get the material. You have taken me to task I, I, before, <laughs> before we started recording yeah. for my full-headed <laughs> notions about hard rock. I yeah. stand corrected. Yeah. Please continue. Look, it depends where you are in the world, but you cannot, it's very, very difficult to reduce that time frame of you're getting your environmental approvals. There's baseline studies that need to be done anywhere you go. And you want to be in, a, in, a, in, a, in an area where you've got low sovereign risk. You need you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to develop these projects. So you need, you need to be close to infrastructure, you need to be in the right regulatory environment. And you're talking, even if you know, a large scale lithium project somewhere in North America is going to take somewhere between seven and 10 years to develop. Mm. And that's them drilling now. They've got to be drilling now and developing their resources. So, so you're not going to have large-scale spodumene production coming on stream before 2030. You know, we are recording this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just well, want to be sure. Large-scale. I'm talking about large-scale. Yeah. So the existing projects can potentially... Some of the existing can operating can expand and double production, potentially in Western Australia. But I'm talking about new greenfields large-scale projects, what? it's going to take quite a bit of time. So what price? I mean, there's, you know, now when you're talking to off-takers, there's a lot of discussion around having floor price, right? They want a ceiling. They definitely want a ceiling, but none of them are, are too adverse to having a, a floor price and a decent floor price. So what should you base your economics over the next 10 years? I mean... You, I think you could be plugging in spodumene prices of in excess of three to four thousand US a ton. Yeah, I agree with that. It, yep. mm. it makes no sense for people to say there's a sustained shortage, but prices are going to go back down no. to a cost curve. Speaking of the cost curve, what do you think if you look at the type of projects you would be looking at in Canada, the the new projects in Western Australia, which may or may not be as good as some of the existing ones. What's the, what's the kind of the average cash cost of a spodumene producer in 2025? Doesn't really matter. <laughs> well, that, that's true. <laughs> but you know, look, and it, I, I just wish the audience could just see the, the expression on the guy's face when he tears me apart. It is certainly something that behold. This should be a video cast, but uh, anyway. Yeah. No, well, I think you know the reality is when we started developing Pilbara Minerals, we were looking at a large scale project. We were looking at you know your two million ton per annum minimum style plant. At the moment, with the pricing the way it is, your smaller scale projects, your one to one, one to one and a half million ton per annum, close to infrastructure, near surface, good quality. Spodge may produce good product, will get off the ground. It's just a question of timing, and, and uh, the pricing will be very healthy for them. They can afford to operate small uh, open pits, and, and we've seen you know, you know, cores going underground on, on really, relatively small deposits. So that style of um, project, which probably wasn't thought about before on the scale, can get into production. And if they can get into production in a time frame that's you know within the next five years, then they're certainly going to get good pricing on their products. Yeah. So you know, GT One's a really good example of a company that has you know good quality uh, pegmatites. What I'd say, relatively modest scale production that can get into production in a relatively short time frame. And I think 
you know, looking looking at the, I guess the cost curve over the last three to four years. I mean, we were we were operating Bald Hill, and you know, cost was six or seven hundred a ton, and, and and ultimately in twenty eighteen, that you know, that was that was higher than the than the, the spot price they were getting for each cargo. But you know, I'm, I'm sure you could quite easily double that now. You know, fifteen hundred bucks a ton as a cost. I mean, and you're still profitable, right? Still and make money. So that makes a lot more a lot more deposits uh, economic to, to get into production and it's going to take that, right? It's going to take that to... to absolutely. To, yeah, to absolutely. fill that gap. To fill that gap, yeah. you've got well, to have to well, Brett was in, in an event I spoke at on Tuesday and we were interacting during my talk and I said, yeah, you told me Bald Hill would be the first project on. It was in your Primero office. And yeah. he kept messaging me every time a milestone was met and I said yeah but weren't you guys the first one out too and he said well fair, fair enough so shout out to you Brett um, <laughs> anyway so we're in a world now where it doesn't matter cost targets charged, yeah, it, charged. It, 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 yeah. exactly yeah. price is disconnected from the cost curve until mid 2030s if that's true then there's ample time to bring all sorts of higher cost projects in. But if there's a return to cost curve economics, what is the new cost curve? If you want to get into balance, I believe the Chinese are going to have to do lapidolite, not because yeah. it's, they want to. I mean, Gangfen, Tianqi, Yawa, General Lithium, they've all known where the lapidolite was for the last couple of decades. It's mm-hmm. not a secret. Yet they've chosen to go to places like Argentina and Africa, and you know now there seems to be a hue and cry because Aussie, the Aussies are keeping their hard rock home in the future with Queen Anna and Camerton and what uh, West Farmers and SQM want to do. So, if it goes to a lapidolite world, since you are the premier hard rock expert mm-hmm. in the world, Mr. Henry, what's that going to look like? Uh, well, it is. It is going to look like a completely different world for sure. I mean, lipidolite's lower in lithium content than uh, the spodumene, so you're going to have to produce a lot more to get the same lithium units out, right? So, lipidolite. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a geologist, so I couldn't tell you how much the, the difference in abundance between lipidolite and spodumene. It's probably similar, similar tonnage around. But um, yeah, oh, look, there's lipidolite. I mean, lipidolite's quite common, so yeah. you know there are potentially larger resources of lipidolite. There's also Resources that have both spodumene and lipidolite have yep. a mixture of both. Yeah. Um, but you know, China's probably the only place that's ever going to be able to produce lithium from lipidolite. Um, well, there's you know there's there's a there's a pretty well known large lipidolite deposit in Ontario, which doesn't seem to be going too far right. And it, it is it is it's not quite to get to a chemical uh, compound. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a different process than. than um, than, than processing spodumene, right? So, We're not going to be processing it in Canada. Will, will, will it be allowed to leave the country? Yeah. I mean, that's another issue, isn't it? But look, it's, it's certainly, look, it does beg the question that there has to be other sources. There has to be other sources, right? And, and as you know, the Chinese are more industrious than anyone of, of trying to uh, find new resources and find new techniques and find new ways to do things, so I'm sure they'll master it. I'm sure they're producing uh, the people like... Um, all chemicals from the big lot right now, so yeah. well, they, they are, yeah. But I also would go back to their 20 year plus struggle to develop brine in Qinghai, and mm. I think Qinghai's 
brine's a good analogy to lipidolite versus spodumene because they have the worst brine in the world, and lipidolite's probably the most marginal asset that could reasonably be developed. And it's been billions, literally, of dollars in Shanghai over 20 years, and they're like 50, 55,000 tons a year. And that's mm -hmm. with DLE, which also, in their case, requires ponds. So it's a tough, tough we're in a tough world right now. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you guys are now taking your skill set well learned in Australia to my northern neighbor. What was the tipping point to get you to want to do what you're doing in Canada? Um, well, you know, an opportunity, right, that I guess popped up, but what was the tipping point? I mean, being from, from our perspective, being a contractor, building really strong teams that are, you know, that, are, that understand, you know, processing as well as they do, you know, we, we build a huge amount of capability and um, you know we've always wanted to get closer to, to the asset and closer to margins and and um, profit margins from operating our own assets I mean the best in the industry at doing it is a guy by the name of Chris Ellison who's just 100 metres down the road here in his nice big new building so you know if you could take a leap from his book of of uh, building the teams and getting into into asset investment and being closer to that operational margins that's certainly what's driven us um, and lithium I think in, in Canada has just been a huge opportunity for us I mean we've been in Quebec for, since 2017 and I don't think anyone who's been to Quebec for any length of time will, will uh, won't agree with me that operating Quebec isn't easy um, certainly there's, there's a language barrier there and, and, and uh, I think that's been proven to, to also... What's the, what what do you call it? The Quebecois? Quebecois, or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're amazing people, but, uh, you know, certainly for outsiders coming in, it's, it's hard work, right? So... Well, the weather's not too good in some of those spots. Either. Very true. Um, so we took our hunt to, to Ontario and yeah. the, the opportunity came up. It's, it's English-speaking, which makes, does, it does make it a lot easier. It's a mining community um, where, we're, where our projects are and... Yeah. around Thunder Bay, um, it's horrendously underexplored and there's a huge groundswell of government and local support to, to create a new industry there. I mean, Canada's been through the paper and pulp mill industry for 30, 40 years and a lot of those have been shut down now, obviously, for, for reasons and um, they're crying out for new industry, there's, there's, there's opportunity to, to develop a supply chain up there. And, and the, team, the team that's been put together, AMCI... Primero, the board, Green Technology Metals is just to take advantage of that situation. Yeah, you know we've we've put together a team that can actually do the job, execute and execute. But from the beginning, your sights are on producing chemicals. Is that correct? Yes, and yeah, we understand. You know, we've been in this business long enough, Joe, to understand that even with these high prices, you've got to be an integrated business. I mean, we don't want to be selling spodumene into an open market. The Canadian government doesn't want us to do that either. They want us to um, to extract the value in country and convert it. So, um, and with our skill set and knowledge now, um, we know that we can build an integrated business. And I guess that's why we're attracting a lot of attention. We, you know, having Lithium Americas coming invest into into green technologies is a huge endorsement. I think of as John said, the team that we've built and uh, what we put together. So. Um, yeah, it, the, the opportunity is there to build a downstream, a completely integrated business and sell into the cathode active material 
um, facilities that are getting built in North America. And how much impact do you see what's what's happening from a legislative perspective, even in the states, because the states now consider Canada part of yeah. part of the broader <laughs> United States for because uh, we because like, we can't like get out of our own way for it's a bit like Australia, New Zealand, really, but yeah. <laughs> No, that that that, uh, that groundswell of support coming from the government agencies in in developing projects, um, I don't think we've seen anywhere on any scale anywhere that support. And you know, it is billions of dollars. Obviously, they've got a process to go through, and they want to put the money probably at the at the at the um, in the converter end. You know, with it, make sure that the chemicals are being produced. But certainly, uh, it's all going to actually help the whole uh, downstream process. And, there's a lot of money probably coming Canada's way. When you look at leveraging both governments potentially, if you build a, a mine and conversion, maybe even beneficiation for multiple assets in, in a common place, does it make sense for you to take that spodumene over the border and maybe get Jigger Shaw to write you some checks or somebody one of the other DOE programs maybe or? maybe he'll write checks for across the other side of the fence anyway yeah maybe but uh, well, and as we discussed before Joe I think and you did write down as a new topic but uh, <laughs> the political nature that, that now surrounds the industry that we've been in and you've been in for so long it's it's, it, it's amazing it you is. can step back a little bit and talk about battery metals as a whole as yeah. well we could it's, it's become yeah. it's, you know where's the nickel coming from Where's the copper coming from? Well, yeah. I would I would push back on that a little. Nickel, maybe not so much, but you are seeing a transition to LFP yep. for multiple reasons. Yep. And that obviates the need, obviously, for cobalt. Some it does for, for nickel, too. But you're going to have... Right now, the North American auto plan is predicated largely on high nickel cathode. And I believe you're gonna to have to have a thinking change on that shortly, because Mary Barra, who goes on CNBC once a quarter and says she's taken down Tesla in 2025, on the back of her affordable EVs that she can't make yet, and if you're gonna put an Ultimum battery in with high nickel, yeah. you can't deliver a $25,000 car you can make money on. Sorry, Mary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it costs again very important in, in the rollout of the whole process. Yeah. You, I mean, you can pick either chemical yeah. you want. There'll be enough hydroxide demand to anything you can build, it'll get taken. But there's going to be a significant amount of carbonate demand. And I think at 2030, the market still favors carbonate to some extent, mostly on the back of... It's easy to handle, it's easy to transport, it's... yeah. It simplifies everything. And you're going to see, I believe, the same thing in Europe. But let's talk about Europe for a minute. Um, When you're talking to people, I mean, now that you've announced your intentions to be a player, Mm -hmm. I'm sure your phone is ringing. And I'm I'm sure your phone is ringing from Asia, from Detroit. Several several different regions. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's the interesting thing here. So how, how do you see this playing out? I mean, you, you, you know, you've looked at projects in Europe. I mean, I think, I think they got a bigger shit show than we have 
because uh, Canada can can get on relatively quickly, and the United, yeah. the United States has assets as well. As we'll see what happens, but uh, Europe seems more behind the eight ball, and they're building a huge amount of capacity with very little or no feed. Where's it going to come from? from? Yeah, yeah, exactly. This. Um, and and look, I don't I don't know. I haven't focused too much on European, you know, EU policies and things like that, and where they, where you can source things from and where you can't. But I'm sure there's a bit more flexibility than in the United States and North America. It's pretty, pretty strong in the way they they, they want to keep it um, to only certain few. Well, most areas. most countries in Europe, if it wasn't mined there, you can't landfill it there. Yeah. So there you go. that's a problem. Yeah. yeah a massive go. problem. Yeah. That is a big issue. So. Where all this, where is all this capacity going to come from over there? That's a very good question. I mean, the EU, well, well sorry, a couple of the EU car manufacturers have already reached out to Canada and said, we're going to source all our materials from you, but well, I don't know. <laughs> They're still not being aggressive enough, Joe. I think that's... Probably the, not. The OEMs are still thinking about the chemical in, the cathode in, and the battery cost, but they're not thinking long and hard enough about where the materials are coming from. And it'll get there. But, you know, we've seen some investment already by some of the OEMs uh, with regards to loans and things to get these projects up and running. But they're still very scared of coming right down to the raw material end and guaranteeing supply of those materials. Who do you think in the future drives the purchasing decision? I mean, you, you're, I'm sure you're, you're talking to OEMs, you're talking to battery companies, probably some cathode guys too. Back in my day, in the dark ages, the cathode guys did all the buying, mm. and uh, that's obviously changing. But who do you think makes calls to tune in the end? That's that's, that's probably the biggest question in the industry that we can see at the moment. You know, we're currently going through. There's going to there's going to be a big shit fight between. I think the midstream and the yeah. So we've been very careful part. about obviously very careful about who who we're talking to, but also who. Who do we want to align ourselves with in the, in the long run? Because that's quite important. I think for the but for the industry and for electric vehicles and the success of the electrification and the continued success, I think ultimately it has to be the OEMs. Because yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I think it doesn't make sense otherwise. Yeah. I want to thank Zolandez for sponsoring this episode. Zolandez is enabling lithium projects to get to market faster, more efficiently, and with lower costs. More lithium sooner means the energy transition happens faster. Find out more at zolandes.com. Well, let's talk about green technology (laughs) metals. John, tell me a little bit about the assets that you're looking at in Ontario. Yeah, well, these, these were advanced assets, Joe, when we got involved. So they did have some drilling, they did have some exploration. And of course, uh, Arden had completed that work earlier in 2016-17. Uh, so uh, quality assets, quality pegmatite, although not at a Pilgungura scale, but certainly, um, you know, we're talking about the amount of resources together, you know, in that 10, 20, 30 million tonne range, which is quite enough to get into production. Uh, we have our main project, Seymour, which has the North Albury asset, and we're exploring there and finding more. And of course, we have our root asset off to the west, and we're drilling at root at the moment, and obviously 
hitting you know, quality pegmatite there as well. So we're building our resource base and that's really what I got involved with. I liked the fact we could go out and build a resource base, have a number of, potential number of satellite operations to fill that gap that I talked about before. Um, and you know the permitting side um, was well advised. They've done 12 months worth of permitting. Uh, this is Arderton, so when we talk about permitting the project, we could be fully permitted on this project in 24, middle of 24. Well, there's nothing I like better than an intramural rivalry. So if we were going to say Ontario, Quebec, 2027, who's producing more concentrate? <clears throat> well, from my perspective, I would be pretty hard pushed to say that there'd be anyone else actually producing concentrate in Ontario other than green technology. Um, there's no one else that I don't think is, is advanced as us. Maybe maybe Rock Tech, but they're probably a bit further in front of us, but you know, we're not too sure about that. But um, look, I think Quebec would be producing more. They do have North American lithium, the Masca, that have already spoken. Yeah, James yeah. Bay will get up and running. So, yeah, yeah, Quebec will win that race for sure. Um, and they should be producing chemical by then too. I mean, certainly they should be. But um, if we keep pushing the way we are and, um, you know, I, I wouldn't think it'd be too much longer where we might be able to match them from Ontario. Yeah, it's all about exploration success and building that resource base. Yeah. And there are a large number of undiscovered, you know, the ground, we've got 40,000 hectares of ground. We're only exploring a very small portion of that at the moment. So uh, it's all about getting to production at the right scale. And I think more people are now looking into Ontario as a result as well. I mean, Frontier is, is up there. That's probably one of the best resources in North America, clean. It's it's uh, yeah, a couple of big plugs. Frontier's been out there for a long time, hasn't it? It's out there. It's, it's, yeah. it's out there. That's, that's the well. very, yeah, it's a long <laughs> way, unfortunately. And that, that's, the, I guess, back to green technology. That's been our, that's our investment thesis, Joe. It's... We want assets that are close to infrastructure. We've got we've got rail running through our properties. We've got power running through our properties. We've got all weather roads already constructed to site. What's the nearest city? Uh, Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay is the is nearest city, I guess, which is yeah. about one hundred and twenty under thirty thousand people, which is it's a good scale. Three and a half. So is your theme song Thunder Road? <laughs> it does <laughs> go through my head every now and again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, but yeah, look, having infrastructure close and, and you know, these are readily accessible all year round, keeps CapEx low and it lets us develop things a lot quicker than a lot of these other larger stranded assets that are, to be honest, that they're stranded. They're in the middle of nowhere, right? You guys are business people. You look at the, the structure of the industry and the inability to catch up quickly. Do you believe... Demand is going to get destroyed by the failure of the lithium companies to be able to produce enough in the short term, or is, do you think it's just deferred demand? I think it's a real possibility, and I did make that comment to another a group that's up in Quebec at the moment, and you know, and my specific uh, comments to them were: it's in everyone's best interest for this project to succeed. Right? We. The lithium industry can't have any more sort of false starts in, in production. It needs it needs to bring on more supply to, to support the rest of the industry growing. Otherwise, you're right, people yeah. start looking at new technologies, new assets, new ideas. Um, and, you know, the predicted rollout of the, the vehicle industry, you know, they're very ambitious. 
most of the OEMs are very ambitious in how much percentage of those vehicles need to be electric. Oh yeah, but incredible, incredible. They're going to have to recan on that yeah. pretty soon because yeah. to say yes. we're going to be all electric in 2030, or even 50%, even 50%, it's just it's very hard to get there. So yeah. they they need to put their dollars in the right place. I'll come back to that again. They need to put their dollars in the right place, and that's actually in the, in the resource in the ground. When the dollars that go into the ground in drilling will result in new discoveries and new deposits. How do you think that'll change the way they look at helping out? If you look at what GM did with LiveEnt, put 100 and 198 million, let's just call it 200 million in for a product that's not going to make its way to their cathode makers until 2025. And they also put the stipulation on that it needed to be the hydroxide made in Bessemer City, North Carolina, not in China, because that brings in the Inflation Reduction Act credits. How do you... How do you look at, if you were going to finance a big project right now, are you going to leverage the OEMs or leverage the government, all of the above, none of the below? <laughs> all of the above, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a combination. Yeah. It's definitely a combination, yeah. And yeah. <clears throat> because, I mean, the government can't support a, a project without credible partners and a credible team and a credible offtake, right? So it, it does need a... A meeting of all, all of the above to come together to make a successful project, right? And and to have it funded and get into production. So. Let's say the funding aspect of our, the development process should be a hell of a lot easier than than what it has been in the past. Yeah. yeah. On your team, how many people are focused on the chemistry part of it, as in lithium chemicals, not the beneficiation? In Primero. Or and green technology. Sorry, yeah. um, <laughs> we have now great. gone into the green technology yes. metal section so, of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how many people are focused on that at the moment? Well, we, we have signed a collaboration agreement with Lithium Americas, um, so we are certainly talking to them about uh, and working with them on a technical and technical level. Um, in the business itself, probably only two or three at this point, but we are more focused on geology, the geology side and building that resource. But certainly, I mean, for a company that's been listed 12 months and we've you know, only been drilling and formed the business 12 months ago, yeah. the rate of development of the work we are doing in the background is gonna force us to grow that team significantly in the next next calendar year, which yeah. is not yeah. it's very close. The PEA or scoping, uh, study which will sort of set the parameters of what we're trying to achieve yeah. is due out in a Q in a Q one. So one of the next year, but one of you know one of the advantages we do have is is Primero is a is a an equity shareholder and uh, they're doing a lot of work and we're doing a lot of work on the study work at the moment. So all that technical side is being run by Primero out of out of um, on on the study and the development work. How did your partnership with Lithium Americas happen? Uh, so, Lithium Americas, yeah, we, I'd met uh, I'd met some of the team a couple of times at some conferences, but um, it actually came through uh, an investment bank uh, that was quite close with Lithium Americas, and they had been discussing um, their want to explore hard rock, especially in North America. May have also been a couple of uh, side introductions from. 
good commentators in the industry, Joe, that may have uh, helped that process potentially. But um, you know, it's always about the good people always win at the end, and those relationships are made, and it's been a good marriage so far. Yeah. Well, I don't think you could have a better partner. Of course, everybody knows I'm uh, on Team Lack, and I'm. Don't really make a secret of it, but Renee LeBlanc probably knows more about lithium hydroxide than Very smart anybody on the planet. And John Evans is probably one of the most forward-thinking guys, and what he's done with LAC has been yeah. No, it's a great team, and yeah. and to be honest, you know, having you know having the conversations we do have with them, and you know, gleaning from their experience and having them. You know, as a supporter in our corner, it's uh, it's it's huge for green technology. And and to be honest, I think a lot of people probably haven't seen or realised that value yet. But uh, it's certainly it's going to propel our business a lot quicker than most uh, aspiring juniors at our at our stage. And I think you know, to be honest as well, we're all starting to field a few more calls about the demerger um, with Lithium Americas. And you know, from from our perspective, we can see that only as a positive for green technology as well. I had coffee with a avid podcast listener this morning who was trying to bolster her super fund, or what do you call it, super here, your like yeah, retirement fund. fund yeah. And I said, there's one lithium company you should add, GT1. Easy one to remember. Yeah. yeah well. <laughs> And that, that's right. I said GT1. I did not see GL1. I could have said GL1. I'm sorry, Ron. Ron and I had lunch today, and maybe yeah. I'll say GL1 next time. But I, I do own shares in both companies for full disclosure. Uh, excellent. Thank you. Great to have you on the taste. Africa. What contribution do you think Africa can reasonably be expected to make by 2030? I mean, the Chinese now are having to run to Africa because Australia is now a global power. And in, in my recent deck, I said this is the power situation has totally flipped. Australia is now firmly in control, which has been forced the development of projects in Africa. But how about executing in that environment? Oh, look, I, mean, I think they can be executed. I mean, it's proven that... Now, Africa has a number of you know, large-scale projects they get done. They are expensive. They have a certain amount of sovereign risk, as we all know. And, um, but there's a couple of good projects in Africa and that, that will get done. Are you talking ABZ? Are you talking Leo? Are you Leo, talking Leo, Leo in particular is very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Shout no. out to Simon Hay. Caught up with him on Monday. No, good that's, man. That's one that uh, ticks the boxes, definitely. Atlantic looks pretty good. Atlantic looks good. Yeah. So I, I think the thing about Africa is, I mean, it just depends on the jurisdiction you're in, right? I mean, it's a hugely successful mining country, and I think uh, you know there's a lot of you know North American and Australian companies that have been really successful over there. So Africa has to play a part, right? I, I'm not a I'm not a GI. I don't know that. The, oh, look, the there's some geology. There's some excellent prospectivity. I mean, I mean, Africa. No, you look at the ABZ, you look at the Congo, and the Congo seems to be the most blessed, uh, you know, geological sort of jurisdiction in the world. Unfortunately, yeah. the political nature isn't isn't the best there, but I mean, it has to play a big part. And to your point about Chinese investment, it's obviously going to accelerate into Africa, definitely. Well, and they have the foresight and the will to throw Absolutely. money at it without uh, worrying yeah. about the NPV. 
Yeah, what's happening? It's going to happen with Eleanor as well. But uh, what else can we chat about, guys? I'd, I'd like to hear a bit more on your views of South America. You definitely are quite outspoken about it, but um, Chile versus Argent, Argentina scenario. Yeah, I I don't view it as a competition anymore because the world needs everything. Yep. both countries can make. The real question, because I was touring the road between uh, San Pedro de Atacama and, and where the Salar is, and there's a lot of other Salars out there. And my shout out to Daniel Jimenez is quick to point out to me that those Salars probably have as much promise as most of the Salars mm. on the other side of the Andes. They're not the Atacama. SQM did everybody a disservice when they acted like they could just keep growing the Atacama and nothing else needed to be developed in Chile. And now I think we're seeing that isn't exactly true. Mm-hmm. But the problem is with the new government, nobody can do anything right now because they haven't said, are we going to have a national lithium company? Are we yeah. going to just let Corfo run the Atacama and the government will form its state-owned company so to do the other development? Again, it becomes just so political. Like yep. this, this, the, the, yeah. yeah, the... The, the battery chemical business that you've been in for so long now is at the political forefront of just about every country and, in the world. And does it become the domain of the, the larger companies, the companies that have the ability to spend time and effort in those countries and have the patience to ex- exploit those assets? And a, a small ASX listed company is you know, it's a tough one for, for small tough. companies in, in, either, in either Canada or Australia to, to go into that part of the world and make it happen. Yeah, and it's interesting to me that BYD, they were supposed to be able to move forward with the project. And the, the lady who was behind that negotiation was quite excited about it. And then you get an election and it's like, uh-uh, we're going to yeah. yeah. zero base this. We're going to go back out. We'll let you know in a, a year, maybe, what we're... You can't do that to shareholders. You're, if you're a public company, it's very tough. Yeah. And then on the other hand, BYD says we're developing six mines in Africa, but nobody knows what they are. <laughs> it's, it, it's a really interesting time. On the yeah. other side of the Andes, it's quite interesting. I, I loved what Argentina did with uh, pegging. said, okay, we're just going to tell you guys it's 53000 unless you can prove it's not. I thought that was a brilliant stroke because they were getting jerked around by my former employer and uh, decided not to do that. But... Argentina always gets stuff done, but it's always really painful how long it takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can tell you, I've had literally $100 billion companies looking at lithium. Argentina's a no-go zone. Yeah, too hard. We're, not, we're not comfortable with that. We're not doing that. Argentina's been stuck on 35,000-ish. Liven is producing, resource-wise, this year, about the same as they did when I walked out the door 10 years ago. Wow. That is unconscionable. Mm. So I don't want to editorialize too much, but Rio Tinto, why didn't you take them out? Just just saying. Um, And then we see you've got Gangfen, my buddies. They've done a lot to get Kachari going. They got Marianas. They have the Plus Petrol asset they just bought. But executing those projects, those won't all be operating in 2027 or 2028. It's just not going to happen. Argentina, that's why Australia is critical. Because South America, when Betrand signed the two deals, first with Albemarle, then with SQM, was on the podcast, it was 400,000 tons. Well, 
Yeah, SQM has had some successes of late, but mm. their their expansions have all been slow. Yeah, Lenegra Two was a complete cock up. I mean, that was like four years late, mm-hmm. and so even the even the best have trouble with brownfields. The Catamarca government was here this week. Yeah, and I had lunch with them, and I asked each one of them how much Argentina would be producing in twenty twenty five. I got some really big numbers. Yeah, what? And I said, sorry. <laughs> isn't going to happen. Yeah. That isn't going to happen. And I love you guys. Um, I'm a big fan of Argentina. I'd love to see, you know, and so I told, it's a new mining minister. I said, I was the first guy to sell Catamarca lithium. So I'm, I'm all on Team Catamarca. Yeah. But it's just, it's a tough slot. All of these mm-hmm. projects have to come on stream at some stage yeah. if the pricing remains high. It's yeah. just a question of when they actually come on Australia. Well, and you know, and, and yeah. that's the advantage of Australia and Canada and potentially North America. Well, you also have, right now, you have so much activity in Argentina, but there's limitations on drilling rigs, there's limitations on just about everything. It's not easy to get people working at 4,000 meters. No, it's a, no, lot that's of, a, tough, a tough environment. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about the, the regulatory environment in the U.S. <clears throat> for improving mines... In the U.S., do you think that's well, going to change? Well, I, I do. I think it'll take a little while longer, but I think it's going to it's going to become abundantly apparent that they can't keep throwing money at downstream with with, with no upstream. Yeah, yeah. And, and I also think that America's really got to sort out their left versus right bit. Yeah. Yep. Pretty quickly because it's become a political issue. It's almost like you just assume that the right isn't on the green team, and I don't believe that's true. It's true in middle some grade, cases. At least more middle ground. Yeah, as well. I mean, and, and, yeah. you know, it's like, well, I heard you have to reduce that approval process and get the time frame down. That's yeah, but, but you also have to have a situation like Thacker Pass got approved by the BLM at the end of Trump's time yeah and then they come in and you can't let every ngo sponsor guys to protest and go to court i mean they just have to say hey it's it's all you have i've i've said since 2016 that we needed a manhattan project mentality (laughs) (laughs) you really do you just basically said okay here's your permit yeah executive order yeah he stopped pipelines you can tell Lithium that's projects. The, that's yeah. probably the biggest resource in the world, isn't it? It should be developed. Yeah, absolutely. And one one last question, maybe, Joe. The IRA. This is the Cam Henry <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, one of, the, no, one of the biggest. Well, one of the biggest things we all seen. The biggest change we've seen is this, is the induction, inflation reduction act, right? Yeah. So, but at what point will not sourcing um, battery materials from people like? the Asian community, or China, for instance, at what point will that not be economically viable and the, and the government will have to revoke that? Or do you think it will just continue on and, and this sort of cold war for battery materials will just continue? That's what label you're going to able to put on it. Right? <laughs> I, I, think, right, I think you are going to have a cold war for battery materials for a while. Well, it's there now. It's yeah. Yeah. Xi Jinping's not going to change the way he operates. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, if I owned a Chinese lithium company, I would be a little bit fearful that I would be merged into a state-owned. I mean, he's he's kind of going back to the, yeah. and this is probably why I won't be in China for a while, but my feeling is that Xi Jinping is Mao with better PR and better suits. Yeah. And that is a problem for everybody. 
I think the Inflation Reduction Act, actually, I thought it was a good stroke, but for it to really be effective, it's got to be, it's got to be, it's got to be over a number of years, and you could have that reversed in 2024, very easily. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that'll happen, but that's, but it really depends on who's sitting in the White House in 2024, and let's hope it's not somebody who's already been there. Yeah. And, and I guess the only reason it would be reversed is if supply doesn't come on and prices keep going high, higher, right? That's, so it's on, the onus is on all of us to get our projects up and going and on all the OEMs and midstream producers to get out their checkbooks. Absolutely. That's Amen. The money needs to come back to this end where it deserves to be. Yes. And let's, uh, we've got the raw materials, so uh, you know, that's, um, you know, the money needs to get down there and get the drill rigs turning. So, I'm, I'm on Team Australia. I've been accused of not being on Team Australia. <laughs> <laughs> it was early days, Joe, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> it was days. Well, no, I, I got the same thing at this, this conference I spoke at Tuesday, and a couple of people pointed out that I might not have always been as supportive as I could have been. So, <laughs> those days are over, sports fans. Long, a long yeah. time ago. I'm going to a cricket match. <laughs> anyway... I think we've covered a lot of ground here, but as you know, we usually end the podcast with some rapid fire questions. John Young, what's your favorite book? Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. How's that? Favorite movie? Oh, that's a that's a tough one. And eh, favorite band? <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. Thunder okay, Bay. Yeah. <laughs> if you could be a world class performer in any endeavor. What would it be? Fishing. <laughs> You're a guy. <laughs> Cam Henry's already done rapid fire, but yeah. we'll do a we'll do a couple. And it's the old. If you could have dinner with anybody who's ever lived, who would it be? Oh shit! If I could have dinner with anyone that's ever lived. Well, it wouldn't be a corpse. We would. They would. They would be sent. Elvis. To Bingo. Good. I've never had that answer. <laughs> and what's the last book you read? Uh, the last book that I read... Gee, that's a very good point. I haven't read one for a while. I took one away on holiday with me in June, and I didn't finish it. So I haven't read. I haven't finished one for quite some time. I'm too busy working. Favorite movie? Top Gun. The last one? No, the original. Oh, the original. Yeah, okay. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Always a pleasure to catch up with people that point out my errors to me <laughs> in a kind well, you've, you've and compassionate way. <laughs> We've got long memories. <laughs> the knives are out. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. And there you have it. I thoroughly enjoyed the discussion with Cam and John. We had uh, dinner after we recorded with some other people in the industry. It's been a really great experience being back in Australia. I think these two gentlemen have made their mark in the Australian hard rock world and will continue to make their mark in various other jurisdictions, most notably and soon in North America. I am recording uh, the closing remarks a week after we recorded this episode. I am still in Australia. I did some speaking in Sydney, and I am in Melbourne at this point. I'll be going home the day after tomorrow. 
I will probably put this up on the weekend. Wanted to give the uh, J.P. Vargas episode time to uh, run. It's been a great trip to Australia. I've learned a lot, and I've met more people than I've ever met on a single trip. You will start to hear me speak more about junior projects, because in this environment, I'm going to try to support as many viable projects as I can. It's not as important as it used to be where you sit, how far left you are on the cost curve. It's more important that we get new assets into production. And when I trust a team, just based on my evaluation of the quality of the individuals, which you've always heard me say on this podcast, how critical teams are to project execution, there are going to be some teams that are working on projects that three years ago I would have not wanted to talk about. But that's no longer the case in the world of lithium pricing that we have today, and I believe we'll have long into the future, no matter what Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley uh, say. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, and I will be recording one more episode before I leave Australia, but I will leave that uh, guest unnamed at this point. I'll leave you with my favorite, one of my favorite Japanese sayings. Nanakorobi ya oki. Okay.